0: Anthony. Ian, it's good to see you, brother. Man, it is so good to see you. I am pumped to be back in the Typology
1: Garage Studio. Me too. And especially excited for today. I love when we get to respond to our listeners. I know. And it's today so is good. mailbag podcast day. We're going to answer some questions that our listeners have reached out to you with. Mm And you're going to shower us with your brilliance and your expertise. Now you've you've totally set me up to disappoint, but I'll do my best. All right, here we go. Let's dive in. So this is from Amanda, and her subject is on subtypes. She says, hi, Ian. I've done some research on my own, but I'm curious. Is there a subtype of a one or five that are similar to each other? The first time I tested, I came out as a one but my next number was a five and it was basically a 50-50 split between the two numbers. When I read descriptions, I definitely identify more with the five, but there are parts of the one that describe me for sure, but then some don't. Is there a subtype of the five that reflects a one or am I possibly just a 50-50 split? Thanks.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, we just have to tell people again and again and again because it's important that we contain all nine types. And so therefore regardless of what her type is, Mm -hmm. Amanda, you have five in you, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Mm -hmm. If you're a one, you have five in you. If you're a five, you got one in you as well as the other eight numbers, right? Right. So you're always going to find traits of each of the nine types inside of you, right? Now, I did a little research on this and did some reading. There isn't a subtype of five that looks very much like a one. Okay. Usually when a person gets stuck between one and five, it's a one who sees that their very rational and sometimes detached way of thinking Mm.
1: feels like a five. Okay, yeah, I can see that.
0: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So again, it's usually a one that is confusing themselves with the five because of that, right? Now, the best way to distinguish the two, right? Ones and fives Mm -hmm. is by remembering that they're in two different triads. So ones are in the gut triad. They're very practical and they're action takers. Yeah. They're doers fives however live up in their head yeah and so their way of thinking isn't necessarily very practical right and it's not necessarily acted upon right and that's sort of the difference between the two that might be helpful to you amanda
1: i love that and i I, you've mentioned that before like backing into a number based on what triad you're in Mm -hmm. so i like that you brought that up again. all right this is from lamar Man, Lamar's got a long question here. Yeah, and uh, the subject is jobs for a type 7. So here it goes. Hi, Ian. I wholeheartedly resonate with type 7, the enthusiast. I resonate with the term monkey mind or freewheeling mind when there is no structure to keep me on track. So here is my question. In your experience with type 7s, do you see them flourishing in the building trades I have worked in many types of trades like vinyl siding, plumbing, electrical roofing, including shingling and metal. But I always end up bored and most trades with most trades and always end up working with people who don't share my enthusiasm. I would love to hear a segment about the types of jobs for type sevens. I've heard you say sevens need to be on a leash but have a long lead. Please help. Wow,
0: Lamar! Yes. All right. Let's uh, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, I can definitely see sevens flourishing in the building trades, Mm -hmm. right? That said, can we just also remember right up front that I can see any number being flourishing in the building trades, but for different reasons, right? Right. We can't assign jobs to different types because no type has a lock on particular competencies, Right. right? But I think one of the reasons I can see them in the building trades is, you know, first, let's say you're building a house. Uh-huh. So you work on a house and then you move on to another with new and interesting challenges. So you're not doing the same repetitive thing over and over and over again right. every day. It's not like you're an accountant and every year in this time of year you're getting ready for taxes and yes. this you're doing, you know, where it's just very
1: repetitive yeah. and predictable. There's always going to be new challenges, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever job you're on building a house.
0: Right. And the other thing is many segments I know like my son, for example, they love to work with their hands. Mm. I don't know what that's about. Wow. And they love to figure out problems as they arise, and often with interesting workarounds. And I see that with my son. He's just so great at that. Uh-huh. You give, if you tell him you want him to do something that involves his hands, he is pumped. Wow. And he loves to figure out, like, okay, well, this joist doesn't go together, so how am I going to do that? Yeah. Just really great that way. You know, e. Lamar here says he he ends up working with people who don't share their enthusiasm and I'm like, dude. (laughs) Well, of course they don't. Right. Nobody could have your enthusiasm for anything. (laughs) The levels of enthusiasm you you have for everyone.
1: You are the enthusiast. For sure, right?
0: (laughs) Now, that said, I do think that Enneagram sevens make great entrepreneurs. We've spoken about that. They're great consultants for the same reason they'd be great in building trades, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you go to work for a company for six months to a year, and then you finish up and you move on to your next company. Mm -hmm. They make great architects. I will say that, they make great architects. Anything involving lots of travel Mm -hmm. and meeting new people, Mm -hmm. they are great life coaches.
1: I can see that, yeah.
0: Right, super in sales. I would think so. Super in marketing. Yeah. And actually in careers where there just isn't a lot of hierarchy.
1: Or oversight or.
0: Yeah, but just hierarchy. Because yeah. sevens like flat organizational mm. profiles, flat hierarchies. And if they don't have flat hierarchies, they have a bunch of different ways that they'll flatten. <laughs> That's <them.
1: laughs> true. They do. I can't remember this. Uh, I, this interview is so funny. And it's one of the first ones we did together. But it was a guy who came on. He wasn't sure what number he was. And by the end, he was pretty sure he was a seven. Yeah. I mean, it was clear. And I remember at one point he's like, Yeah, it's not that I want to be in charge. I just don't want anyone to be in charge. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) All right. Moving on. Here we go. Thanks for that one. Ian Emily. Healing modalities for a five. All right. You ready for this one? Sure. Hi there. I love your podcast and have learned so much. In delving into the world of the Enneagram, it has been a useful tool in my marriage, friendships, and as a participant in spiritual direction. I identify most strongly as the five sexual subtype. I recently experienced a traumatic event and have been engaging in therapy to seek healing. Sorry for that, Emily. As a five, I spend so much time in my head. I wonder, do you have recommendations for modalities that also integrate the other centers? Are there specific types of therapy that engage the body? Last question. Are there other activities that you'd suggest for healing? Thank you for the work you do.
0: Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear for people, we're talking about modalities. Yes. We're talking about different schools of psychology. Right. Right. So you you could do cognitive behavioral therapy, or that's one school. You could do Jungian psychoanalysis. That's a another school, mm-hmm. you know, on and on ice. So those are modalities. right? So I would think any therapy or activity that bypasses like the prefrontal cortex, all that thinking mind would be uh, really helpful for a five. Like so EMDR. for example, yeah, like a EMDR would be great, right? which is especially for trauma, right? It, you, what you're doing is you're kind of trying to bypass the, that prefrontal cortex and get the left and right brain to start talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I'm not an expert in this, but that's, I think, the general idea. Brain spotting, which is a close cousin to EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you another one, especially for the, you want to get in touch with the feeling centers, equine therapy. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever done equine therapy? Yes, I have. You did?
1: Ah, uh, Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: And I'll say this. I mean, you know, I've saddled horses myself, and it's very it's been very healing.
0: So that's a way to get out of the thinking mind, to have an experiential thing happen where yeah. you're bypassing some stuff. I think there's a whole new thing out there called EFT and it has to do with tapping therapy, which I can see being really great. Obviously, somatic, there's a whole school called somatic psychotherapy that is all about integrating body work and energy work, which I think could be very helpful. Art therapy Mm -hmm. would be great. Uh, Doing psychodrama would be great. Again, this is all about getting out of the mind. I think there are some therapies I wouldn't recommend for a five. Well, let me put it this way. I think what the five has to watch for in all of these it is to not get on the internet and research why art therapy is so good.
1: Yeah, right. It's like, just go do it. it. Yeah, exactly. You
0: know, like just just go and do it and just follow the instructions. I would tell the therapist that you're, the thing that's going to be hardest for you is intellectualizing things and just go with the instructions and go into spaces of the heart and of the body that are kind of foreign languages for you
1: so maybe uh emily could ask her therapist if she does emdr or could she recommend someone to do emdr brain spotting or some of these things to help her connect more
0: yeah yeah Yeah. she could ask her spiritual director who she mentions in here okay yeah i mean there are some really good modalities like uh, for whatever reason today i mean obviously emdr is great But for today, I don't know why I'm just focusing on equine therapy as a way to access the heart. It's really could really surprise you. I love that idea. Yeah, Yeah. for sure.
1: All right. I hope that helps, Emily. All Mm -hmm. right. Let's move on to Lisa. The difference between type five and type six. Oh, yeah. All right. She says, I have been studying the Enneagram for three years. I was convinced I was a type five, but now I believe I'm actually a type six. I have a lot of traits of both five and six. How do I tell which is truly my number? Thank you, Lisa.
0: Yeah, okay. So here's the one obvious answer, which Mm -hmm. is it could be, Lisa, that you're a five with a super strong six wing Uh or a six with a super strong five wing. Right. And when you're testing or reading, you're kind of uncertain which of the two might be you, Mm -hmm. right? So let me just tell you a couple of differences between fives and sixes, and and maybe we can come into it backwards. Sixes tend to be linear thinkers, whereas fives, interestingly enough, are nonlinear thinkers. And they are more interested in fives and developing really outside the box, kind of oftentimes controversial ideas that challenge or upset old ideas. Okay. Like, like you think about Albert Einstein, you think about Bill Gates, mm-hmm. you think about, I mean, there are so many fives that, mm-hmm. they all love to upset conventional wisdom. Yeah. Like, oh, conventional wisdom says this, but right. we think this, yeah. you
1: know. Dylan was a five, right? Or people think he Possibly was a five. Possibly
0: a five with a four, or a four with a five, I think.
1: I, think, I just think about that, because he was always kind of oh, yeah. upsetting the industry and what should be done and what, totally, yeah. Totally,
0: totally. Yeah. This is interesting. I think fives are more creative than sixes. However, they're less pragmatic or practical
1: than sixes. Interesting.
0: So they'll tend to, fives are like, for example, they will tend to think that they can only trust their own minds, while sixes will tend to second guess their thinking.
1: Oh, that's a good differentiation. And
0: then go out looking to elicit the ideas of others. So there's just a couple of ways that fives and sixes are different Mm -hmm. that might help. Lisa, zoom in on her number. And of course, she could also just look at the unconscious motivations. One being for the five, this uh, need to collect vast amounts of information and knowledge to fend off feelings of ineptitude and inadequacy. Uh-huh. And to preserve energy is very important. And, you know, when we look at Six is, it's really motivated by a need for fear and security. And so just compare those two and just pick the one that sounds most like you. And chances are, that's your type.
1: That's great. I love that. Okay. Hope that helps, Lisa. All right, here we go with Reese's question, nines and right action. I am a type nine and have been studying the Enneagram on my own for about three years, but feel like I've barely caught any info about right action.
0: Which is their virtue. Yes. Right. So let's just tell people right now. Yeah. So their deadly sin or their passion is sloth. Yeah. And their virtue is right action. So go on.
1: Yeah. Okay. I understand it in the sense that I've experienced myself finally seeing and acting in a peculiar and a particular right action in life, but feel like I need to explore that more and can't seem to find any information on it. What does it look like for a mature nine to take? right action or to move to their virtue. I feel like the times I can point to it in my own life are few and far between and almost feel like times in my life that are really out of character for me that it's more like I'm channeling three energy a bit sideways. Is right action something that I should experience on a daily basis with more ease? Thanks in advance. Wow. All
0: right. Well, it's a good question. Some people will say, you know, oh, in the life of a nine, right action only happens a few times, and they'll point to really dramatic examples of when someone took right action. I just don't think that's true. Uh-huh. I think that people can decide to take smaller steps of right action in their lives every single day. Yeah, Right? So I think when a nine takes action that's motivated by their own priorities and their own opinions and their own viewpoints that would take action to support their own life agenda, the furtherance of their own life agenda, that that's right action. That's good. Uh, And I think in order to do it, nines have to become aware of when they're being self-forgetting, right? And then they have to reject inertia. Mm -hmm. And then they have to speak up for themselves. And then they have to become interested in their own self-development. So even if a nine says, well, I'm gonna join a book group. Well, I think that's right action. It's like investing in your own Mm self-development. If a nine says, I'm going to go back to school and take a course in X. Great. Self-development. Go to the spa. Self-development. You know what I'm saying? Like Those are all instances of right action. Now, they may not be as big as other examples, but what I mean by right action too is that they're going to go do it regardless of what it costs them in terms of relationships and connections with other people. And she Mm -hmm. then goes on here and talks about three energy. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes total sense right? because that's where nines go in security. Right. So in that space, they're going to become more. You're you're going to become more goal oriented, more self confident, in touch with your life agenda, investing in yourself. You're going to take command of your life, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to believe in the power of your presence. Mm-hmm. So that is the really healthy side of nine. They go to the high side of three. So I'm glad to hear that she's channeling some of that energy.
1: Yeah, love that. Okay. Hope that helps, Reese.
0: Um, There's one on here I want to answer. Okay. Can I do that? I'm just looking at our uh, questions. This is from Diane, and she's asking about meditation and centering prayer. Did you happen to catch that one?
1: It's pretty good. Diane Morris. Yes. Okay.
0: So Diane writes, hello, could you give some further explanation to the practices of meditation and centering prayer? How are they alike and how are they different? When do you use one versus the other? Is there perhaps a blended version of these practices? Okay, mm. this is a great question. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I just want to get in on it because, you know, the whole meditation thing is a passion for me. Yeah. So, Christian meditation involves discursive analytical thought. Mm-hmm. So, it involves reflection, pondering, or thinking thinking on a scripture for example or a spiritual idea so you're you are in a place of thinking right but you're meditating on it in a sense of of reflecting on a truth or a virtue right Right. now centering prayer is completely different so we think about the work of father thomas keating who is the guy who brought centering prayer into public awareness centering prayer is actually not at all about discursive analytical thinking. It's actually all about quieting the thinking mind and then offering God's consent to do in you what he chooses to do with or without your awareness. Mm-hmm. In fact, without your awareness. So when your mind begins to think or to wander, the person doing censoring prayer goes back to their prayer word. It mm-hmm. could be love, it could be peace. But they usually encourage a word, but you could use a phrase like Jesus, have mercy on me. And when your mind is cleared or comes back to clarity, then you stop using the word. You only introduce the word when your mind wanders. And mm-hmm. when it stops, you you go offline with it. Yeah. So it's really about union with God. Yeah. You're seeking nonverbal, non cognitive union with God. You're just not using that brain. You're taking it offline. Right. So it's about opening right? It's yes. about opening. Right, And by the way, when your mind begins to ponder and reflect or visualize things, that's considered thinking, right? So that's why when you pick a sacred word, mm-hmm. like if you pick the word patience, And then as you're saying it, you start unpacking the idea of patience Mm. and start meditating on patience. Right. Or if your word is love and then you start unpacking it and you get a warm feeling and you want to stay with it, it's like, no, 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 that's thinking. Yeah. Don't go there. Right. All right. Now I want to actually introduce another thing. Okay. Which is mindfulness, which is in the secular setting, it's about learning to become more aware of one's mind and surroundings. And it's about attending to the present moment. Okay. Okay. So when you say, okay, man, walk through the day with mindfulness, it's like, okay, when you're doing the dishes, feel the warmth of the water on your hands, so forth and so on. It's like staying in the present moment, like just being attending to what's happening right now. When we hear people saying, stay in the now, be here now, Mm -hmm. that's all this sort of mindfulness language. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now what mindfulness meditation is actually is attention training okay and so that you can be in the present moment just to be present to whatever's happening outside you and inside you what feelings are coming up what thoughts are coming up and you can just have the ability to self-observe in a non-judgmental disinterested way it's just Mm. to acknowledge what's happening in the moment yeah right so those are three very different forms of meditation
1: christian meditation centering prayer prayer, and and then mindfulness. mindfulness
0: meditation the meditation that you use in mindfulness is designed to help you stay in the present moment when you're not on the cushion meditating. Yeah. Make sense?
1: Yeah. Okay. Do you have any thoughts around how this relates to the Enneagram?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we've spoken about this many times. I really believe that a practice of centering prayer or mindfulness, not Christian meditation, But centering prayer and mindfulness are really helpful and almost necessary in the journey with the Enneagram because how else will you learn Mm -hmm. to train your attention to notice when your type is starting to play its game? Right. So you have to be able to self-observe in the present moment and go, oh, look, my type is now uh, falling into a place of unhealth and I need to do something different. Yeah. So anyway, I actually rarely practice Christian meditation, but I'm very drawn to Centering Prayer or yeah. to mindfulness. And I, and actually I think, though they're very different, one is secular, the other one is more Christian orientation. In fact, mindfulness is very influenced by secular Buddhism. But I think that they actually have a lot of the same benefits, but not the same principle goal. Gotcha,
1: okay. That was a fun right. thing for me to That's answer because awesome. it
0: got all wanky interesting.
1: I like that, all right. Well, thanks, man. Man, thank you. I loved answering these questions. Yeah, this is fun. I just want to encourage everyone on Apple, if you are listening on Apple, if you would go and write a review... And if you would rate the show, it really does help uh, other people find the show and for them to get this rich content as well. Again, Ian, just grateful to be here with you and to have you answer these questions.
0: Man, I was so happy to be here. Talk to you soon, buddy. Sign us off, Ian,
1: and give the good people some love.
0: Oh, yeah, man. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest, everybody. Until next time.